0: Romans 2 is where we'll be in just a minute. So if you want to find your place, Romans 2. The context of this passage, of course, and I I said this Sunday night, Paul's writing to the Romans. Um, He's he's the first part of this book. He's really coming at them from the angle that God came not to just save the Jews, that Jesus Christ came to shed his blood for all. And that would include the Gentiles. And so there's some rich theology here as he, he speaks to them. And so he's talking about the righteous judgment of God as we come into chapter 2. And the payment that we receive for our sin is God's judgment. But of course, Jesus Christ intercedes on our behalf, and his blood is what saves us. Um, But he's talking here about the righteous judgment of God. And so, getting into verse 6, he says, Who will render to every man according to his deeds? And that's true for those who are saved. And lost, God will render to every man according to his deeds. In verse 7, to them, and then he says this phrase, who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, well, they get indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish. Upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first. So you guys are more accountable. And he says, and also of the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile. Let's say a word of prayer tonight and ask the Lord's help with application. Father, thank you for tonight. And I pray that you'd speak to our hearts and help us, Lord, as we find application in our homes and our marriages. And then, Lord, this principle would certainly apply to every relationship in our lives as we relate to our brothers and our sisters in Christ. So would you help us to find application um, for our hearts tonight in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Should've mentioned a moment ago, pastor is on a planning week this week. And so he's spending some time away um, and grateful he he took that time. He needs to do that more frequently, but he will be back for the marriage conference and here he and Terry need it desperately. And so, yeah. (laughs) So he'll be here, and he'll be helping us run things, and looking forward to him being back. All right. So you pray for him while he's away, and then while he comes back. All right. When Elizabeth and I were young married, um, of course we didn't have kids yet, and so like a lot of couples, we decided to get a puppy first and practice our parenting skills. You know, and so we decided on a specific kind of dog, and it was a blue-eyed merle, uh, blue merle Australian Shepherd. And there was one in Missouri that popped up online, and so. Um, we communicated with this lady that was selling it. And and so one wintry night, it was cold, it was freezing cold, it was snowy and icy. And so we decided, we were so excited, we just thought, you know, we're gonna drive, we're gonna go get this puppy. So we get there, we pick up this dog, we're on the way home, it's dark outside. And um, Elizabeth says, we need to stop at the store. And so she says, I'll run in, grab a few things uh, from the store. Are you good in the car with the puppy? Um, Most people would be. I didn't grow up with animals, so, you know, I was a little skittish with this dog. I, you know, this is the first dog, really, that I had owned. And so, you know, but I'm like, it's, it's 10 minutes with a puppy. Like, give me a break, babe. I got this. And so she gets out of the car, and as soon as, as, soon as she's leaving, the dog starts to pee um, all over the car. So I look at this thing, and it's just peeing on the front seat, and, and I kind of just put my hand on it, like, and I yelled, like, stop. And that... Didn't work very well. So here's this brand new puppy who's just left its litter mates and its mom, and I'm the big mean man yelling at it. So it gets really scared, and so now pee is all over its fur. It's on its paws, and it starts jumping on me. So now I've got you know paw prints all over me, and urine is going everywhere, and I go so upset. And so I just got out of the car, and I stood there in the cold in a t-shirt, and I just waited for Elizabeth to return and let the dog do its thing. She comes out and is like, what is your problem, you know? New puppies are fun, um, at least for the first hour. (laughs) And that would be true for new cars, um, for new houses, et cetera. But new things, while they're typically fun in the beginning, at some point, they take a turn. And that infatuation and the emotions that have caught our attention eventually fade. And so puppies, they pee. I figured that out really quickly. Houses have problems. New cars come with a lot of debt, and they eventually lose their value. And that is true in many areas of life. And it's true in new relationships. And it's especially true in the marriage relationship, where at one point we might be infatuated, and what we might say in love, and have the, the, the fairy tale wedding, um, weddings that we've dreamed of for an entire lifetime and put a lot of effort into, they're over in under an hour. And if you do an Eastland wedding, it's usually over and under 20 minutes, right? New things have value. New relationships have value. But there is even more value in long-term relationships. And relationships that go the distance. And and, and things that, that age with time. And there can be more value in those. One of the greater beauties of longer relationships is that they have rich depth and meaning. And that's one of the strengths of the Eastland Baptist Church, is we have a lot of people here who've who've, who've lived together and loved together and have a rich, shared history together. One of the longest lasting relationships in the Bible was the relationship between God and Israel. And so in Genesis chapter 12, God appears to Abraham. And He makes to him these extraordinary promises that He never made to any other man. Um, And he would make to Abraham's descendants, but he wouldn't make to another man. And so in Genesis 12, we read, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, from thy father's house. And he said unto a land, I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. And so God enters into this covenant relationship with Abraham, with his descendants. And he's still in that relationship with them. And it was a unique and it was a special relationship. And God has related to the Jewish people in a very unique way, unlike any other people that have ever been born. And we witness this in Romans chapter 2. And you would think that it would be easy for people who have been singled out and blessed by God to relate to him. Like that would be easy, like his hand of blessing is on us, he cares deeply for us, he, 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 he's gone to incredible extents, extent to take care of our nation and protect us and love us, and you would think it would be easy, but through the years, as we read through the Bible and we understand the history of Israel's relationship with God, it was anything but easy. In fact, they made it incredibly rough on God. And as you think your way through the Bible and the way that they relate to him, we understand that. And it kind of sounds a little bit like a marriage relationship, doesn't it? It's amazing how closely God's relationship with Israel, and in time, it would be what we would call the church, the bride of Christ, that one day will come to fruition, but it does mirror this relationship between a husband and wife. We would all love the idea of our relationships with our spouse or even with others that we love to be one long continuing saga of joy and celebration. And there are moments for that. And I'm grateful for those times. Um, certainly for the nation of Israel, when Solomon had built this incredible temple that David, his father, had planned for. The nation had, uh, you know, really was worshiping God at an all-time high, and they dedicate this temple to God. There were moments like that throughout the Bible where there was this love affair with God, and the people were all on one page, and they're worshiping Him, and they're serving Him, and their hearts are united before Him. But then there were other moments too. There were moments of frustration and anger. And God allowed foreign tyrants and other nations to punish them. Does that sound familiar to you in your marriage relationship? Frustration and anger? I personally can't relate to that, but I know some can, right? And I'm being cheeky there. There was infidelity. Israel chased after other gods. They had other interests besides Jehovah. And sometimes we do the same thing, maybe not always physically, but with our thoughts, maybe with our emotions or even our actions. There were seasons of silence. Ever played the silent game before? That well, I'm just gonna shut down and I'm not talking first. And I'm gonna wait till you talk, till you make things right. And so there was an incredible amount of silence in the Bible between God and his people. In fact, between the Old and New Testament, before Jesus was born, there were 400 years of silence. But one thing that held the relationship between God and Israel together was this simple idea of perseverance. Sticking it out. In spite of difficulty, in spite of delayed success, God never abandoned them. So sure there were seasons where he was frustrated and sure there were seasons where he was angry and there were seasons when they were unfaithful to him, but God persevered through it all because of his love. There's a couple named Thomas and Kathleen Hart and they're authors and they wrote of marriage. They said marriage is a long walk that two people take together. Sometimes the terrain is very interesting and sometimes it's rather dull. At times the walk is arduous for both persons or for one. Sometimes the conversation is lively At other times there is not much to say. The travelers do not know exactly where they are going, nor when they will arrive. And marriage can be that way sometimes. In fact, life can be that way. And there are seasons for us all. When we come into a particular season, sometimes it just has to be endured. There are moments you just have to get through. You shouldn't stay in that place. But there are seasons we have to just get through. Children come along. And they can cause your budget to tighten. And they can cause you to lose sleep and high levels of stress. Some people want children and cannot have them. And that causes its own burden and stress and difficulty. There's times, when there's, times where there's financial strain and it's difficult to meet, uh, meet, uh, make ends meet. Raising teenagers, and they test boundaries. And then there's the transition into the the phase of being an empty nester and kids are moving out. And then the parents are getting on in their years and they need more of your help and support. And then there's sickness and the death of loved ones. And and on and on the list goes. And and that's true for all of us. And all of us somewhere along that timeline of life are experiencing some difficult seasons. Not to mention the big three-letter word we all struggle with which is sin. And even Paul a few chapters later in Romans chapter 7 would say, hey, I'm the guy writing the Bible that God's dictating this letter to, and I'm telling you, I struggle with sin. And it's not easy for me as an apostle, and I do things I didn't, wish I didn't do, and I, and I struggle with this thing. And he writes extensively about it. And we have to persevere through sin, and we have to persevere through hard times. And we have to endure because sometimes that's what God asks us to do. But that's not where the text leaves us. And I want to focus on this phrase tonight because verse 7, if you'll look there one more time with me, and we're going to look at it a, a, few, a few times, says this, that we are to have patient continuance in well-doing. Patient continuance in the Greek is one word. And in vines, it just means that in the New, New Testament, the characteristic of a man or a woman who is not swerved from their deliberate purpose and loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. The word is defined as enduring, sustaining, perseverance, persistence in doing something despite difficult or delay in achieving success. It means this, when I would rather be doing something else. And I would rather be escaping this situation, I would rather be responding in a different way, I would rather be doing, I'll have a whole different level of engagement here, but that's not what I'm called to do. I'm called to do what's right, and not just what's right, but what's good, sustaining in goodness. I'm supposed to deny myself, and this is a basic tenet, and Christian discipline. That Christ teaches us, that I am to deny myself, to take up my cross, to follow Him, to persevere, and to have patient continuance in well doing. Perseverance is so important in relationships, in the marriage relationship, in a friendship, in relationships in the church. Patient perseverance is so important because true intimacy grows slowly. Good marriages take time, they can't be rushed. They take a lot of time. Social scientists say that it takes, now now listen to this, and I'll give a reason here in a second. They say it takes 9 to 14 years for a couple to move from singleness as individuals to a complete couple. So from the moment you get married, it takes 9 to 14 years for you to move from this position of me to we in your brain. And the reason is that they give is because of neuroplasticity. And we've used that word around here before. It's not as complicated as it sounds. It just means that our brains are literally and physiologically shaped by our experiences, by our actions, and by our choices. So repeated actions, repeated choices, repeated experiences, they create neurological grooves that eventually became or become automatic. It's like muscle memory. Okay, so I don't know if this has ever happened to you before, but maybe you're driving home from work or church even. For me, it would be church because, well, they're one and the same, right? So I make the trip more than most people here. And so you leave this parking lot, and then you arrive at home and you pull in the driveway. There's a 25-minute drive, and you you think to yourself, how did I get here? Maybe I'm the only one, I don't know. But that's neuroplasticity at work. It's this, I've done it so many times for so many years that it create, it's created grooves inside of my brain so that the drive between this place and my home, I, I don't even think about it. And when you get married, your brain is stuck in singleness groove. And so we don't think of ourselves as part of that other person or as a couple, but as one individual trying to relate to another individual. And social scientists have tried to give an actual timeline to this and they're saying it takes about a decade to a decade and a half for us to go from me to we to where we're thinking together as a couple embracing our identity as actually half of a couple becoming one in its truest sense. Now we understand theologically at the altar, we commit ourselves to this other person and to God. I did to Elizabeth. And then there's this, there's this covenant I've made to her before the Lord and before witnesses. And I have, I become one with her. And I, we, I understand that. But, but scientists would say, well, but in your brain you're not there yet. And it's going to take time. And you need to hang in there. There is a comfort and intimacy that newlyweds can't imagine. And the longer couples are married past these points, they have the opportunity. It doesn't always happen, but they have the opportunity for intimacy to grow. And scientists would say true intimacy doesn't even grow until this point. It's like evaluating your marriage before the 14 year mark would be like taking a half baked cake out of the oven and saying it doesn't taste good. Well, it takes time. Okay, let me qualify that statement because that's what social scientists are saying. We need to, to complement this idea with what the Bible says. Just being together isn't enough to have a good marriage. It's not like there's some magical timeline, and we understand that. Because the Bible says this, patient continuance in well doing. Doing the right things. In other words, if you keep doing good and pursuing in a good marriage, in time it will pay off. But it's going to take time. And some people, it's like hiking up a mountain, and they get halfway up, and they're winded, and they're tired. Last week, we took a few days off, and we went to the um, Washita Mountains down in southern Oklahoma. You know, we're going on these trails and up these hikes, and we get up to this one hike that, believe it or not, was actually an ascent in Oklahoma. (laughs) It was steep. And so we're going up, and, and several of the kids are just like, we're done. We don't want to go any further, Dad. We want to sit down we're out of breath and i'm like get up you know walk zigzag take small steps breathe deeply i'm giving all these you know hiker hacks you can't stop now we've got to press on we got to keep going if you turn back now you will have toiled and you will have gotten all this effort for nothing and you won't see the view at the end of the trail and we got to the end of the trail it was beautiful waterfall and moss covered rocks and they were so excited about it and there were fish everywhere You don't get to see that view unless you continue, unless you persevere, and too many people quit. Perseverance is important because true intimacy, it takes time to build, and perseverance is important because as you persevere in doing good in your marriage, you grow in every other area of life. And again, I would just broaden the principle tonight. I'm trying to prepare our hearts a little bit for the marriage conference for those of us that are going this weekend But that's true in other relationships too. It's certainly true with every relationship in this church. The longer you continue to do good and you persevere and you don't give up and you keep doing what's right, you grow in every area of life. So the application goes like this. As you persevere in doing good, like the Bible asks us to, your commitment, your tenacity, and your faith grow too. Those things all grow. Becoming a better spouse helps you to become a better Christian. And the better Christian you become, well, the better spouse you become. It's the, it's the spiritual circle of life, right? Here I am, I'm working on becoming a better spouse, and as I become a better spouse, I become a better Christian. And as I become a better Christian, I become a better spouse. These things are interrelated. You grow in marriage, you grow in faith. You grow in faith, you grow in marriage. Romans 2, 7, again, to them who by patient continuance and well-doing well they seek for glory and honor and immortality eternal life. The worse you are as a spouse then the worse you are as a Christian. See, the principle is true in reverse, too. And the worse you are as a Christian, the worse you are as a spouse, the worse you are as a spouse, the worse you are as a a Christian. It's a vicious cycle. Righteousness is worked out. It's fleshed out in us in our persistence. Biblical spirituality emphasizes perseverance. James 1.4. But let patience have her perfect work. Continuance, keep on going, perseverance, get to the nine mark and the 14 year mark and keep going and keep doing good no matter what's taking place in your life. But let patience have her perfect work that ye may be perfect and entire and wanting nothing. Biblical spirituality is worked out in our persistence. True holiness is produced over time. Doing good today having a right response this evening, getting up tomorrow morning and doing good again. It's easy to flirt with righteousness, though. It's easy to be occasionally good and feel good about ourselves. It's easy to have a superficial type of Christianity. And so I'm challenged to tithe, and so I will. Occasionally. Just enough to make myself feel good. I'm challenged to be nice, and so I will be when I'm in a good mood. I'm challenged to help someone in need, and so I will, when I have time and it doesn't inconvenience me too much. I'm asked to share my faith, and I will, when the conditions are perfect and the person's happy and smiling at me, right? See, it's easy to flirt with righteousness, to be occasionally good, but that's a superficial Christianity. It's not continuing, it's not persevering. The righteousness God is after is persistent righteousness. It's a commitment to continue, to make good and right decisions, even when you feel pulled in the opposite direction. That's not what I want to do. That's not what I feel like doing. But this is what God's called me to do. And so this is a patient continuance, and I'm going to go this way. It's not about occasional acts of kindness. It's learning to be consistently kind even when you don't feel like being kind. It's not about serving your spouse's needs on special occasions, their birthday and maybe sweet to you this week. It's about serving them day in and loving them day out. Persistence isn't just about surrendering to God once and having prayer time with him today. It's about doing it every day, surrendering our will to the Lord and and going to him and pursuing him there are some seasons of life that are rich and they're exciting and we praise God for them. And then there are some seasons that you need to endure. In the parable of the soils, Jesus spoke about the different levels of receptivity that hearts had to his instruction for life. And so he gives us these different soil types and he says the sower went out to sow seed and he throws seeds and he talks about how each soil received the seed of the word of God. And in Luke eight thirteen, he says, They on the rock, those that had this heart of rock, which when they hear, they receive the word with joy. We're excited about it. They're faithful for time. They drop their tithe check in. They're kind because they feel kind. They've got the spiritual high. But he says, These have no root. They landed on rock. And he says, for Which for a while believe. And then he says this, and in time of temptation, what happens? Well, difficulties come. Storms happen for us all. We covered some of them tonight. Right. The sun comes out and it can get really hot and dry. Or well, the rain comes and it's difficult and the, wind, and, the, and, the, and the wind blows hard. And what happens to these? They fall away, he says. In times of temptation, they fall away. And some people think that marriage should be easier than it really is. And so when it gets hard, they bail out. Nah, Brother Daniel, I'm still still married. Okay. But we bail out mentally. We bail out emotionally. We bail out physically. And in a lot of other ways. I'm going to tell you, there are times when things just get difficult. And you need to have patient continuance. Well, I am. In well-doing. In doing good. Happiness in that moment or in this season of your life. It may be beyond you. But spiritual maturity is not. So we praise God for the good times, and we're going to work toward as many of those as we can. But when there's difficulty, we're going to endure. And we're going to keep doing right. And we're going to have a patient continuance in well-doing. What gives us the power to persist in doing good? As a Christian, why should I be motivated to persevere? Well, Paul hints in it in in this verse, in Romans 2. When we have patient continuance and do good, he says this. I want you to look at this verse again with me. Chapter 7, to them who by patient continuance and well-doing. He says, what are they seeking for? Well, these people have, have a different mindset about life. Because they're seeking for glory. And they're seeking honor. They're seeking immortality. And they're seeking eternal life. See, persistence doesn't make sense unless you and I live with a keen sense of eternity. And all of a sudden we go, oh, I'm going to die. Oh, Jesus is coming back, which has been made more and more clear to us in this series on Revelation through Sunday mornings. Like, oh, yeah, this is really going to happen. And it is. And when we're reminded of that truth. And we have this keen sense of eternity. And that the way we relate to those in our lives and the way you treat God's son as your husband or God's daughter as your wife, it matters eternally. All of a sudden that really matters now. Christian endurance is rooted in this idea that there's another life, and it matters. And what we do today, it impacts that life. The coming world is weighted so much with honor, and it's worth whatever sacrifices we make here and now. Well, they should be the one to make the relationship better. And I've done all I can. Okay, that may all be true. You still have a responsibility as a Christian to patiently continue... In well-doing because you have a big-picture perspective here in mind it's bigger than your marriage it's bigger than your family it's eternity and there's glory and there's honor and there's eternal life and it's coming for you and the question we constantly have to face is this around which world is your life centered because there are two so there's this one and there's the one to come and around which is your heart and your mindset and your thinking, and what is it all centered around? When you relate to your spouse, you relate to some soul in this church, around which world are you centered? And your marriage will reveal the answer to that question. Crowns in heaven don't go to happy people. Let me rephrase that. They don't go to people that just because they're happy. Read the Bible. There's a lot of sober reasons for getting a crown. There are no ribbons for those who endure the least amount of pain and just seek pleasure and happiness. No, crowns go to those who endure hardship, those who persevere, those who push through, those who, who, who continue to do good, and they, they choose a different kind of spirit and an attitude. And like we're preaching on Sunday nights, they choose in their minds to think grateful thoughts, and they have grateful spirits, and that lifts them up, and it lifts up those around them. Persistence pays off, if not in your marriage, then in your character and in heavenly rewards. And in Galatians, Paul promised us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season, we will reap if we faint not. Continue on, but not everyone receives eternal rewards. Some receive indignation and wrath, both in this life and in the one to come. I can't reconcile all that. I don't fully understand it. But I do know that this kind of response is coming for the Lord, from the Lord for some. Maybe for some of us. And it goes like this. Look at verse 8 again. Uh, look at verse 8. He says this, but unto them that are contentious. You know anybody like that? Maybe that sometimes you catch a glimpse of them in the mirror. And he says, and do not obey the truth. You know what to do. You know how to treat her, sir. You know how to treat him, man. You know how to treat the people in this church, but you're not obeying the truth. You have a contentious spirit about you. And so there's a reward for you too, but it's not glory and it's not honor. And instead he says it's indignation and wrath contentious. Those who provoke, those who dispute, those who are just quarrelsome, like looking for a fight, not pleasant to live with. They make it hard on their spouse to be a good person. In Proverbs, we read about, it speaks of a contentious woman. I'm going to tell you, there are just as many contentious men. We risk God's wrath And we risk his anger both now and in the world to come if we fail to, at the very least, try to do and be good. See, half the battle in your marriage and in any relationship and in this church is just not quitting. But that's only half the battle. There's there's a book written by Gary Thomas entitled Sacred Marriage. He wrote this this story about this couple, and I'm going to take a minute and read it because I feel like this could relate to some couples here. He said, Marty entered marriage with an enormous burden, a previously failed relationship, not marital, that had included sexual activity and a gut-wrenching breakup. As a result, she struggled with feelings of insecurity even after she and her husband were married. She just couldn't get over the perception that conflict leads to breakup, and breakup leads to intense pain. After several years of marriage, Marty and her husband started fighting over financial problems. Weeks of vigorous discussion, occasional bouts of yelling ensued, but no conclusions were drawn. The dispute became so acute that the marital relationship started to show strain. There was little joy, just angst and frustration. Marty subconsciously slipped back into feelings that were born out of her earlier failed relationship. Because she still heard over the dissolution of that bond, she experienced acute anxiety over whether her marriage could survive this challenge. In her past, unresolved issues meant an inevitable breakup. So she secretly began mourning a relationship that had not yet died. Then one night after another vigorous and ultimately unresolved discussion, Marty's husband did something so wonderfully prophetic and profound that Marty will never forget it as long as she lives. You could see the joy of her husband's tender care reflected in her eyes as she told the story. He wrapped his arms around me and said, Marty, you need to know that no matter what we decide or don't decide, I'm never going to quit on this marriage. Even if we have to live with this tension for the rest of our lives, I will never leave you. Marty burst in tears as she shared this story. Even though there was nearly nearly constant contention in her marriage, she didn't want the relationship to end, and now her husband had promised that it wouldn't. Marty and her husband embraced the sacredness of their history together. They both found great meaning in the simple fact that the marriage would survive. And suddenly the original problem seemed less significant than the overall fact that their history together was secure. And I'm going to tell you one of the most precious gifts you could tell your spouse is simply this. I'm going to persevere. I'm going to continue. I'm not going to give up on you. And mean it in your heart and make that decision. Believe. Believe. That if you keep hanging in there, that you give God more time. And every day that goes by, you give God more opportunities to work his grace in your life, in your spouse's life, and in your marriage. And I want to challenge you with this tonight. We need to reject self-seeking behavior in our lives and instead think deeply about our eternal future. That's the world to live for. And that will change how you treat people. Don't jeopardize that world in this one with selfish attitudes and actions. Okay, but I'm gonna give you a second part of the challenge tonight. Don't just promise patient continuance. Don't just refuse to quit. Purpose in your heart that you're gonna do good. It's you're gonna be good. It's you're gonna be self-sacrificing. That you're going to love and be kind. You're going to be, if if today's not a happy day, you're working so that tomorrow will be a happy day. Work at consistently pursuing good in your marriage and being good to your spouse. Persevere in loving, regardless of the circumstances you find yourself in. Persevere in a good, intimate life. Don't give up on that and walk away from it. Persevere in finding joy and happiness. Ultimately, persevere. Because one day you're going to stand before your God. And you are going to receive a response from Him. And it's going to be honor and glory or indignation and wrath. And you're already experiencing a shadow of that in your life. So which do you want? Choose it now. Experience the shadow of that and experience it in fullness one day. Make God's response to you a good one. Make it a good one.